Hi everyone, special, special podcast today. My name's Debbie Roberts from Property Apprentice and as I mentioned in the week in review last week that I was going to be interviewing Serena Gibbon from the Auckland Property Investors Association. So thank you Serena for joining me today. We've got lots of things to discuss about the Privacy Commissioner Report and recommendations and obviously, you know, I did mention the survey um, that was done of of some recent landlords and property managers. So, uh, yeah, tell me, what are, your, what are your thoughts on what's been happening? Sure. Hey, Debbie, thank you so much for having me along to talk about privacy because I really think it's one of those easily tweaked areas that can bring, that can really lift the public outlook on the business of landlording. Because, you know, like by by complying with the privacy guidance, I really think landlords are not giving away the house that could in return gain a lot of kudos from the sector and the public at large. So it's something I'm really passionate about. So as you pointed out in your latest week in review, Consumer New Zealand, in conjunction with the Office of the Privacy Commissioner, went in the last few months, carried out what they call a mystery shopper exercise in the rental sector, where essentially they just had people pretending to be tenants, bringing up professional property managers to apply for tenancy. And through that application process, I should say faux application process, um, the, the Consumer New Zealand was able to compare industry practice versus that of the Privacy Commissioner's guidance for the rental sector, which for those of you guys who are students of landlording, you'll be aware that the latest guidance was published in November 2021. So it's less than one year old. And what, you know, and, and as you rightly pointed out, Debbie, the Consumer New Zealand study shows a very small percentage of landlords outright, oh, sorry, property managers, I should say, outright breaking the privacy guidance by asking for tenants' bank statements. We're talking 6%. And then there's another 10% of people who engage in very questionable behavior that comes very much across like exploiting the loophole of getting tenants to voluntarily um, disclose information. And for those of you who are consuming this podcast on video, you'll see that I'm doing the voluntarily in quotation mark finger finger speech marks <laughs> yeah because it is it is you know like when you when you exert pressure over tenants to say oh you know you could by voluntarily disclosing more information to me you'll have better chance of getting a house and really we have to be questioning how how voluntary is that disclosure you know it's a even true consent so so i think they rightly consumer new zealand rightly pointed out that there is that is a problematic practice or custom but bearing in mind still 10 percent of people engage in that that behavior we're not talking you know unless unless these people went to a different math school as me 10 percent and six percent is a small problem and to me it just says to me, it just says, look, a year, less than a year into the guidance with all these new rules in this environment where there are all sorts of other new rules of, um, over landlords and property managers, that's a pretty good pivot, pretty good uptake 
and I we're, agree. Yeah, 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 I agree. I think you know, by far the majority <laughs> of people are doing the right thing. There are just a few little loopholes that maybe some people aren't aware of, although they should, yeah. be, especially if they're professional property managers. And like, yeah. they should be well aware of all of these changes. I just yeah. wanted to make a, a quick comment about the voluntarily providing information because obviously we do have some tenants that listen to this podcast as well. Sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that um, Serena and I had a chat about before we went online, we we previously talked about why a tenant might mm-hmm. want to voluntarily provide some information. And Serena, you made a really good comment about how, you know, if someone's previously had a credit blemish or something like that. So with the routine checks that a landlord or property manager might do when they're screening a tenant, you know, obviously something like a a blemish on their credit report might put a bit of a, a black mark against them as far as making them potentially the first choice as a tenant. So in that situation, Serena, you came up with a great idea, which was that the tenant could potentially provide some proof mm-hmm. that, yep, that was years ago when I was younger and stupid and made a few mistakes and, and had mm-hmm. this credit. But since then, my payments have been really regular. Uh, so, yeah, I think situations like that, it would be really beneficial for the tenant to proactively yeah. provide that information. Yeah, so uh, what Debbie is trying to say here, and, um, and I'll be the one saying it because it is super controversial, but basically, as a general rule, bank statements are a no-no. Okay, and bear in mind, it wasn't that long ago we had professional property managers appearing in front of select committees, openly talking about going through people's bank statements, going, oh, you know, if you eat at fast food chains, then I want to rent you a property because that makes... Who doesn't like a burger, right? So, so those are really questionable behaviors. And, and the whole idea of the guidance is to say, look, we, we want to have red light zones such as um, bank statements, which is an absolute no-no. But even in the case of bank statements, there will be exceptional circumstances where the exchange of that information is acceptable. And Debbie, you rightly described it um, that as somebody who previously had a bad credit history, but if that person in in all the other matrix that the landlord is considering, if that person really stacks up as a good tenant, but it's really just this credit blemish that maybe happened, you know, five years ago, and they're not that person anymore, there's nothing stopping the tenant from saying to a landlord, I understand this is what is holding my application back. I understand that you have reservations. Let me show you my bank statement to prove to you that I am no longer that person. That was a lapse of judgment five years ago. Um, I hope you don't hold it against me. This is the context of my life, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's up to the tenant to offer. So when we talk about volunteering that information, that has to originate from the tenant. And Debbie, you're right. It's a great tip for tenants who you know, I like scores 99% on the matrix and it's just 1% letting them down. That seems to be disproportionately affecting their um, their chance of getting a home. Then that's something they can explore. But for the landlords listening to this, you don't want to be engaging, you don't want to be engaging in behaviors that looks like you're exploiting that power imbalance between the landlord and tenant and uh, talking about, oh, I see that there is a bad credit against you maybe show me your bank statement and this could all go like don't do that that's a hard no that's a hard no (laughs) yeah we want that for the tenants out there it could be a useful piece of information that they could actually help to get them that tenancy Mm. 
So yeah. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show, even in that example, is it's really great to show to people that, you know, in terms of privacy and what you can ask, what you can't ask for, um, because that's the main focus the industry is on at the moment. There's whole piece of there's a whole other piece about storage, security, disposal, disclosure to tenant, all that sort of stuff that no one is even talking about, right? Right now, everyone's obsessed about what you can ask for because it is so hard to move tenants along these days after the 90-day no-fault termination got removed. Um, and and I think it's it's yeah, it's just really important for landlords to remember that most questions. At the end of the day, the Privacy Act, Principle 1 under the Privacy Act, requires you to draw a connection between the information you're asking for and the reason, the purpose you're going to use that information for. So if you can't draw a through line between the two, then, you know, you really got to be questioning whether you even need that information in the first place. Mm-hmm. And customarily, Sorry, customarily, we want you to, you know, the Privacy Commissioner just wants people to hold as little information as possible that would allow you to facilitate your business, which is the business of renting. So just bear in mind, a lot of those questions, they're not hard yeses or hard noes, but the circumstance has to work, the circumstance of the collection, the nature of the information has to, has to be linked with the purpose of renting. Absolutely. So, you know, just to give a couple of examples for our listeners, totally unacceptable to ask someone what their race is, you know, for obvious reasons, (laughs) for obvious reasons. That's just morally wrong and it has absolutely no no impact on on the tenant's ability to pay the rent or anything like that. So, yeah, Yeah. a lot of it's common sense, isn't it? It's like, you know, if you don't need that information, don't ask for it. So, yeah. but we will put links into the um, into the chat afterwards um, to the privacy yes. commissioner reports. There's a landlord fact sheet, and there's also a tenants fact a sheet tenant as well. Fact sheet. That'll be useful for both sides. Yeah, exactly. And going back to what you mentioned, I'm really pleased that you're going to be linking in the fact sheets because going back to what you mentioned about the absolute no's, if if the listeners out there pull out that fact sheet and they pull out the Human Rights Act. Um, you'll find that most of the most of the um, itemized hard no-no questions is an exact replica of the protected class of people under the Human Rights Act. And the reason the commissioner had done that is because he doesn't want, well, the previous he, because there's a new one now, um, he doesn't want landlords to fall afoul of the Human Rights Act. And if you're in a situation where you're not collecting people's race, gender, sexual orientation, family status, employment status, all of that stuff, if you're not, if you're not collecting that information anyway, then a tenant who, um, whose application was not accepted by you cannot then turn around and say, he didn't rent me the property because I'm Chinese. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's like hassle you don't need. Absolutely. Yep. Totally agree. So um, one of the one of the things which is also on that list of what information you can ask from tenants is whether the applicant is eighteen years or older, or whether uh, any of the flatmates are over the age of eighteen. But you can't ask how old anyone under the age of eighteen is. So in response to those comments, I just wanted to point out that my personal preference. If um, if there were people over the age of 18 that were going to be living in the property, my personal preference would be to have all of them 
on the tenancy agreement just because that reduces the risk for the landlord. If everyone over the age of 18, legally adults, uh, if they're all on that um, on that tenancy agreement, they're all held responsible for any damage or rent arrears, all that sort yeah. of stuff. So it just reduces for the landlords. And I think yeah. also, you know, as you mentioned, Serena, the removal of that 90-day termination notice, you know, where landlords used to be able to give notice without actually stating the actual reason. Uh, obviously, we've had lots of discussions about this in the past, about how no no landlord in their right mind ever gave 90 days notice to get rid of a good tenant. Yeah, there's <laughs> always a reason. Long-term right? tenants. We want yeah. long-term tenants in our properties, but with the removal of that um, that ability to give 90-day notice, it has caused a lot of concern for landlords and they're less willing to give tenants who are maybe borderline, It's they're less willing to give them a chance, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. So I think, uh, you know, discussions like this can really help because it is important mm-hmm. to understand that by far the majority of tenants in New Zealand are great, you know, mm-hmm. just like by far the majority of landlords in New Zealand are great, you know. There's a small percentage that are toe rags and that's what yeah. we need these, these rules for to protect us against them. Yeah, and I think what, what people need to be really mindful of is, you know, having been involved in um, from behind the scenes in the sort of eventual creation of the current set of guidance for the rental sector vis-a-vis Percy, um, my thoughts are um, that these rules could be a lot harsher. Mm. Actually, in fact, you know, because we the, the way the guidance came about was the, the OPC got brought in tenant and landlord groups and essentially acted as a traffic cop and said to each group, what is your wish list? You know, so we we sort of all kind of gave gave out our list of demands. And then And you were involved in those conversations as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we were without, you know, without bad mouthing anyone, we were seeing some very extreme, like I was seeing some very extreme position taking by both landlords and tenant groups and one party wanting everything under the sun because the, there is that I do think there is that overreaction in 2021 to the 90 day no fault tenancy being off the table for landlords um and then you you know you you have tenant groups who are sort of absolutely just saying I should be I should be given the tenancy if I just get my full name and a driver's license and nothing else they are not entitled to knowing so you know they, I think people need to understand that the OPC was really just trying to be a traffic cop trying to like have facilitate some kind of negotiation between the two two interest parties and, and also property managers and IT companies that take um, manage like takeover management processes as well and sort of go, okay, what is workable? And the goal was the goal was always the expectation that they had set for us from day one had always been, look, if we land at 80% of what everybody want, wants, then this is a win. And and when the guidance came out, look, I think a lot of people had a really allergic reaction to it because it is yet another set of rules on landlord. It is yet another tighter parameters that you have to operate within, right? But knowing, just knowing that it could get a lot harsher and people need to be mindful that the 2020 amendment to the Privacy Act had given the Privacy Commissioner broader enforcement power. So my concern is we don't want the industry narrative to be driven by the 10% or the 6% because we don't want to give the commissioner a reason to sort of say, hey, 
you know what? Previously, I said a rental CV is okay if it's volunteered by the tenants. It's not okay anymore. Yeah, and you don't want the rules. You know, right now it's a very kind of flexible set of guidance, and you you don't you don't want that becoming too rigid because at the end of the day, renting is a people business, right? And we all we don't exist in isolation. We all exist in context, and you need to be able to make that very human. Decision about who you want to have a long, potentially a long term working relationship with, and the、It's、last person、right. you want, you you know, last person you want is for some quango government agency to come in and be like, "Here are ten questions you can ask. Good luck." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think it goes on both sides as well, you know, because the landlord tenant relationship it it should be a win win situation. Lords need a tenant to rent their properties, and tenants need. A home to rent, you know, if they're not in a position to buy their own home, or if they haven't, if they choose not to, for a number of different reasons. So,、um, yeah, I've seen in the media recently、uh, quite a few comments about, you know, tenants are worried about being blacklisted, you know, for one reason or another. And、uh, and I think it's important to point out that, you know, especially with some of the law changes recently. Well, in the Tenancy Act, you know, if if a tenant takes a landlord to the Tenancy Tribunal and the tenant wins that case, then their name doesn't get published. So same goes know, for the landlord, though. The same goes for the landlord. Yeah, absolutely.、Mm-hmm. But I, what I'm saying is that there's a lot of tenants that are too scared. To take their dodgy landlords to task, you know, because they worry that they're going to be blacklisted. Whereas if they've got a legitimate claim and they win in the tenancy in the tenancy tribunal, they're not going to be blacklisted because their name won't be mentioned.、And、yeah,、so、I think you know the more education that we can get out there from both sides of the equation,、mm-hmm. landlords and tenants, the better it's going to be for the entire industry. You know, we can get rid、yeah. of the Slumlords and、um, and have tenants less concerned about their ability to you know speak their mind or if their rights are being violated. Yeah, and I hope you don't mind, Debbie. I just want to revisit what you mentioned about the eighteen-year-old flatmates、yep. as well, because I think you, that's a good point to remind your listeners that landlords have. No, there's no legal, technically no legal relationship between the landlord and the flatmate. Ergo, the landlord has no collect collection power over the flatmate. Okay, so guys, if you're listening to this and you got you're a landlord of a flatmate situation, just remember you can't be going to your tenant or those flatmates asking for their personal informations because you got no standing for them. Okay, so just making sure you're staying、yeah. well clear of that. Yeah, so gone are the days of having a head tenant and flatmates for that tenant to help pay the rent. You know, this is what I was saying、mm-hmm. before, where I'd, I'd absolutely、yeah. prefer to see everyone over the age of eighteen on that tenancy agreement, because then the landlord, if I'm correct in this, because I'm not a property manager, <laughs> but、um, yeah, landlord, anyone who's on that tenancy agreement, they can do the credit checks and and things、mm-hmm. like that. The applicants for that rental property. Yeah, exactly. And and look, having collection power over a tenant doesn't mean you have to exercise it, but it gives you it gives you that flexibility, right? It's like what people, you know, I mean, when 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 the、uh, when the government was talking about removing the ninety day termination notice, I think the New Zealand Property Investors Federation came out to say, 
only a small percentage of people actually use that to terminate tenancies, but we're mm. really against this. And the reason for that is just you want that safety net of knowing you can do something and you yeah. will if necessary, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, it was only about 3% of all terminations were the 90-day it was yeah. a very, very small percentage, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think I think the industry needs to bear in mind that of all the hoo-ha we sort of drummed up before that um, amendment, I'll probably get punished um, when I go back to work after this for saying <laughs> this, but, but of all the hoo-ha of, you know, oh, you know, 90 days, this is going to be the end of property management, or... or Oh, OPC guidance is terrible. This is we're 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 all going to be renting to drug dealers because we can't ask anything. Didn't happen, right? No. Right, and and the Consumer New Zealand came out within a year of the guidance coming out in in a period of time which you would assume everyone will be overreacting and overcollecting. Most people are not. Most people are compliant because yeah. most people are good people. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you can still ask for references from previous landlords, can't you? So, yes. you know, this is that's something else that's really good for the tenants to know as well. You know, like, I mean, because all of us have done stupid things when we were young. So if you'd previously been taken to the tenancy tribunal for, you know, missing rent payments or damage to a property or whatever, and your name is in the tenancy tribunal mm-hmm. as under a case, then, you know, you can provide information to correct that and say, you know, like I said earlier, okay, I used to do some dumb things. I learned my lesson. I haven't done that ever since. And here's mm. the and, and also tenants have, because they are considered customers of landlords' businesses, right? So they they have the right under, I think, um, Privacy Principle 6, because it's called an IPP6 um, request. They have the right to make an IPP6 request of the landlord to say, hey, hand me over all the information you've collected from me then they they can afford they can give themselves the opportunity to review and have a sense of if I use this landlord as a referee then what's the likelihood like what's the narrative going to be looking like right Mm -hmm. um and for those of you guys who are reading the tenants out there and the landlords out there if you pulled up Debbie's links to the OPC fact sheets as well there is a sentence in the tenant fact sheet I can't remember exactly what it said but there was a sentence that I found problematic back in November last year that gave tenants or landlords reading it the impression that an IPP6 request means the tenant can essentially use that to find out the reason they didn't get a tenancy okay that's not the case we've gone through and get that clarified from the OPC um, itself and the, the the right to request for information if you are an unsuccessful or if you're a successful applicant pertains to all the information the landlord um, stores that belongs to you but the landlord is not obligated to draw the nexus between what information led him to decline him or her to decline your tenancy application um, because that was that was one of the things that created some problems and um, I would you know I, I really would hate for people listening to this to assume that that isn't the case. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think this has been a really good, um, really good chat, Serena. Thank you for joining me today. Anything else that you wanted to add in just before we wrap things up? Yes, I'm running a workshop. Excellent. (laughs) 
Tell me more. I'm here to plug my mirror. No, I'm, um, so as you guys would um, know from Debbie's lovely introduction, I am from the Auckland Property Investors um, Association and occasionally I provide tenancy-related content for our members. Um, so on Friday, the 14th of February, I believe I have the date right. Friday, the 14th of February, I'm running a little webinar online about um, how to prepare yourself for a random privacy audit because a privacy audit is also what the OPC compliance team is empowered to do. So it's more now broader enforcement power. So it's not just the mystery shopping and the the, the surveys and all that sort of stuff. They, they can actually audit your landlord business. So I'm going to do a little talk on, you know, what the process looks like, what you need to be looking out for. I've been fielding privacy questions for nearly a year now. So I'm, I'm definitely seeing... You know, I'm definitely getting a good insight into what people are getting right and what they're maybe not getting super great in. And and also, I think at the moment, the, the real weakness of all this privacy rhetoric we have going on is it's very, very focused on the collection application end when actually the whole, you know, like your entire, your entire lifespan of renting is... Their privacy implications all throughout. So there are issues around security of, you know, data and storage disclosure to the tenant and also disposal, all that sort of stuff that at the, the other end of tenancy that people don't talk about that I have real concerns over because most landlords and most property managers do not collect, store, dispose information in the same way a bank would. Or, or a big IT company with a really regimented system. So I do want to spend some time to talk about that because I think going forward, that would be where the enforcement um, focus would fall on in the coming years um, once they get the, the vetting side of it checked out. So we are going to be offering um, your lovely podcast listeners free access to the webinar. Um, and yeah, we'll grab you the details and maybe you can share that around for anyone who's interested it is going to be late morning on friday the 14th of october and you can hear me yabbering on more about privacy (laughs) i i know that you you mentioned that you didn't want me to talk about this necessarily but i think it's important to point out the fact that serena doesn't just have this as a hobby you know Um, so (laughs) she's that would be a very sad life well, potentially, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, look at me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, Serena knows what she's talking about. You know, she doesn't work as a lawyer, but she has two law degrees. So, you know, t- certainly understands legal jargon and how to read contracts and all that sort of stuff. So I think um, Serena's perspective as uh, as a representative of the Auckland Property Investors Association, but also uh, with her experience and knowledge with her law degrees. I think that's a very powerful combination. And so thank, thank you, you so very much for your you. time, Serena. And oh, thank you so much for having me. You're doing You're great. Awesome. And yeah. thank you for all our listeners. So, you know, feel free to get in touch with us, office at propertyapprentice.co.nz if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts in addition to the week in review. You know, this is the stuff I love doing. So feel free to uh, let us know if there's a particular subject that you want to hear more about, and I'm happy to elaborate on that.
Thank you for listening and tune in again for the next podcast. There'll be another Thank one. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.